Lord, you are so good to us. We thank you for being in this place, a secular convention center that becomes your temple, a place where the Holy Spirit will come and dwell. And in our hearts, Lord, we're sinners saved by your grace, though, and we thank you for the covering blood of Jesus over this place and over every word that's spoken. When your word goes forth, we claim the promise that it will accomplish what you sent it to do. So please help Jan and I just to speak those words that come from you and that would help each one of us, including our own hearts. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was working in the Colorado conference for a while, pastored in Cortez, and worked in the conference office. And I went to a minister's meeting there. And uh, when I got up to Glacier View Ranch, I was staying in a room. Janet wasn't able to be with me. And in the other bed was Bob Rice, who was the educational superintendent for the conference. By the way, on the tape, I was supposed to say I'm Jerry Page and she's Janet Page, I think. So that's, that's who's talking here. Uh, but anyway, in, in the room at night, I thought it was Janet in the other bed. And I had this, I had this dream. And in the dream, I was sure it was Janet in the other bed. Okay, that's what happened to me. You ever have a dream where you're sure something's real that isn't real? And I got up in my sleep, and I began to walk across the room towards poor Bob, thinking it was Janet. <laughs> yeah, and I ended up standing right over Bob in his bed in the darkness of the night in the room. Does this happen in the hotel room yet? No. Looking down at him, and just then he woke up and looked up at me, and I woke up and looked down at him. You know, it was one of those moments in life, you know? <laughs> And Bob, he's got a great sense of humor. He said, Jerry, I won't tell a soul. <laughs> and I said, Bob, I'm going to tell everybody before you get a chance to tell it your way. And that's what I did. I, I shared, got all the pastors together at breakfast, and I told them about my sleepwalking experience. But the reason I share that with you is because it's so symbolic of my whole spiritual journey in many ways, how often I thought I was awake when really I was asleep. You know what I mean? And uh, so, you know, again... I won't go into a lot of testimony today. I grew up in an Adventist home. My dad, somebody just came up, knew my dad. He was a publishing director, very grace-oriented, loving guy, and just really into the Lord. Worked till he was 80, out door-to-door -door selling books because he wanted to you know, get people to Jesus. My mother was a teacher. She was a good lady, too, very solid Adventist, but very legalistic. She uh, was the kind that you know, told me, you know, got to watch out for that sanctuary thing because your name can come up at any minute and you'll be lost, which is, you know, there's a message there we have to worry about, as I was talking the last one, but it's, it's not a worry that's... Uh, well, I'm going to not make it. But then she'd say to me, I can't, I'm not good enough. I can't make it. But you know the rules. You could make it. And, you know, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. <laughs> and I, I ended up, you know, getting kicked out of a bunch of academies and into drugs and buying and selling and just about ruined my life. But God did something. And as I look back now, I thought I was so smart. I thought I had it all together. But my parents made mistakes that they did, raised me on the TV instead of doing mission work and stuff many of you have grown up with. But at that point, they got everybody they could praying for Jerry across this whole country and you know call porters everywhere praying for Jerry thank God they weren't embarrassed to their rebellious son and their their radical son but they were this was back in late 60s early 70s but long hair beard drugs everything but they had everybody praying for me and I won't tell you the whole story of how it came about but they prayed me miserable and I thank God for that couldn't enjoy the drug trips hated everybody my girl and I finally one night after a bad drug trip Bible worker had come to our house Dan Collins and some of you in Michigan know Dan he had come and got mad at us and said, you know, I wasn't nice to him at the door. He went down the steps and said, let him go to hell. I don't care, Lord. <laughs> but the Lord took him and brought him back up the steps, pushed his card in my pocket. And uh, that night, he said it was 3 in the morning, we called him, started Bible studies. I, I'm such a believer as I look back on the power of united prayer. Now, I don't know how it all works. I don't know that, you know, some people get prayed for more than others, and God will have to figure all that out. The analyticals worry about it, but I just know what the Bible says. The Bible says, where two or three agree together according to prayer, it's done. Ellen White says, and I want, I want you to take the white sheet now for a minute, because I want to focus on this statement. We're coming back to some other ones in a minute. The, uh, the one, this is kind of, for those of you that are new, I forget this is a new group to some extent. Statements on prayer and empowered ministries. Hang on to this sheet. Again, I had a seminary professor that said, I'm going to give you materials, give you printed materials, because if nothing I say helps you, you can go home, the Holy Spirit can use these materials. And we've given you a lot of Spirit of Prophecy quotes, Bible texts. If you will just meditate and think on these things, uh, your own prayer life, your devotion life can really encourage come forward. But number, uh, well, let me, let's read number two and three first. It says, I'm sorry, I've got to start with one. <laughs> what the Lord did for his people in that time, the early church, is just as essential and more so that he do for his people today. All that the apostles did. How many? All. How many are supposed to do it? All. Every church member today is to do. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? What'd they do? Rise, take up your bed and walk. Went into Dorcas's room and healed her from death. Uh, turned the world upside down, preached and thousands were converted. 
How's that going to happen? And we are to work with as much more fervor, to be accompanied by the Holy Spirit in as much greater measure as the increase of wickedness demands a more decided call to repentance. Uh, John Maxwell says, you know, the, the early apostles prayed for 10 days in the upper room. They preached for 10 minutes and thousands were converted. Today, maybe the church would begin to figure out that we pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and hope somebody gets converted. Maybe we'll finally figure out that if we wait before we go, if we finally figure out, as Paul Ratzara says so well, after his 17 years of studying this thing through, if we will pray as Jesus prayed, then we'll begin to see the results that Jesus saw. Uh, agonizing, praying all night long before he chose his leaders, before he did things. You know, when will we say, no, that's not just Jesus, that's the way my life can be too. Praying together, the apostles and disciples. Number two, at the sound of fervent prayer, what happens? Satan's whole host trembles. I love anything that makes Satan's host tremble, right? I've discovered as a church leader, and forgive me, young people, we've tried to run this church humanly way too long. I've discovered that the devil is not bothered by my planning, by my sharp intellect. He's not bothered by my staff. He's not bothered by our methods or our plans. The only thing that really scares him is when we unleash the power of the God who creates the universe with a word. That scares him to death. And that's why Jan and I have become so obsessed with talking about the last great revival. She says our great need is what? Our greatest need is remnant. First selected message 121. Revival of primitive godliness. Revival of true godliness among us is the greatest, most urgent of our needs. She goes on to say our work is humiliation, confession, repentance, and prayer. The last sentence of that on page 121 says, A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. So again, the only way we're going to unleash what GYC's vision is, what Justin preached the opening night, is if we spend the time to really call on the name of the one who can do it. Somehow he has limited himself in the great controversy to prayer. Now, he does lots of things anyway, but there's some things he says you can't have. James says, you have not because you ask not. This next statement, it's part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith, that which he will not bestow if we don't ask. Great controversy, page 525. Oh man, I'd like to go on and on here. But number five, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they'll ask, it'll be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Ask me and I'll answer your request. But this is a letter to, to the Farnsworths from Ellen White. It's really powerful. The promise is made on condition, talking about Matthew 18, that the united prayers of the church are offered. And in answer to these prayers, there may be expected what? A power greater than that which comes in answer even to private prayer. Now he answers every earnest prayer of faith, we're told, right? But greater power when we pray together. Why? She says, the power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love of God and for one another. GYC folks, young adults, whether you're a GYC uh, regular or not, if we will pray together in this generation, and I'm not in your generation, but I, if this generation will pray together and unleash God's power together, we can finish the work. It can be done very quickly, and it's going to be finished soon. But God wants it to happen. So anyway... A lot more I could say on that, but I want to take you for just a minute. My job in this, this hour is to kind of get out of Janet's way. She is uh, somebody that God has just put in a special way, a passion in her heart for praying unitedly, praying for others. She spent three hours Wednesday at our office, as she does every week, praying conversationally, short sentence prayers. They go through a list of like 18 pages I give them. First two or three pages are thanksgivings, answers, things that have happened that I see. The rest of it is crisis that I can't handle, that my staff and others can't handle. And I see some of my staff here. We, we throw the prayer requests in there, and this group gets together, and they pray for three hours. They don't talk. They don't do a bunch of stuff. They just pray. And uh, by the way, while you got that sheet out, number four, again, as a leader in the church, I'm just hoping you folks who will be leaders in this church who are taking ownership will get it, as Justin said. It is the order of God that those who bear responsibilities should often meet together to counsel with one another and pray earnestly for that wisdom which he alone can impart. Unitedly make known your troubles to God. What's it say? Talk less. <laughs> Much precious time is lost in talk that brings no light. Let brothers unite in fasting and prayer for the wisdom that God has promised to supply liberally. I can tell you I've been through a ton of board meetings in all my years. And so much of it is wasted. We vote <laughs> actions and nothing happens. But when we pray, our conference committee, our board meetings, we try to take in our office quality time to praise and to really pray. We do a lot of conversational praying. Sentence here, sentence there, praise. Then a request, someone supports that. We move on, let the Spirit guide us so it isn't boring long prayers. But it's a conversational style of praying together with short sentences. So we can do that in every meeting and we try to spend the time. And I believe when we do that, that we see God's power unleashed in ways we can't when we just come together and talk. 
our prayer meetings have become talk meetings. Sorry, too often they have. Instead of prayer meetings where we really pray for an hour, instead of talking, 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 and pray for 10 seconds again, or 60 seconds, or whatever. Uh, and the ones that are seeing the power, Dwight Nelson and others, they're having prayer meetings. Derek Nelson, I mean Derek um, Morris, they're having Wednesday night prayer meetings where there's a lot of prayer going on and a little bit of talking. And God is doing mighty things in their ministries. Well, um, okay, the handouts, I wanted to uh, say something. Janet was talking about praise at the end in the last session. And this handout, uh, Ellen, this is a, a magazine that Juanita Kretschmer, I don't know if you folks would know her, was in New York City for a number of years, the Van Center, just a powerful woman of God. Put this together, they passed it out all over the world. Now in her retirement, they've got a tourist attraction down in Key West, you know, with thousands of people coming through. It's great on promises of God, claiming the ABCs of prayer, just asking, believing, putting our hand on the promise. Then this other document is one Joe Inglemar put together some years ago, I got at Andrews, just on praising God from Bible and Spirit of Prophecy quotes. So powerful. Praise, she says, is the most effective means of winning somebody else to Jesus. So that particular handout is especially on the, the uh, praise aspect. The other one is another booklet that Juanita put together, actually, An Encounter with God in Prayer. And there's a type of prayer, which you can read in there yourself, that is in a group, for instance, taking some time together to guide a group through listening to God, letting Him bring the sin out of our life in our own heart, not to others, and then confessing that and believing and accepting in a deeper way. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful kind of prayer, and that's what that booklet's about. I'm just going to quickly run through these handouts. I uh, won't take a lot of time with it, but uh, we have a card. We got a bunch of prayer partners praying for us in Central Cal some years ago. Just mailed it out. Some of them are willing to do this. We send them some material, letting them know what's going on. We have others that, that commit to pray a lot at camp meeting and before camp meeting. Some pray every day, I mean, uh, every day for us, and sometimes uh, on Wednesdays come to the office. This next handout, please take it out, Principles of Intercessory Prayer, and hold it a second. Come back to that, but it's Janet and I have put together sort of a short summary of the principles of intercessory prayer that we found in Bible and Spirit of Prophecy that are really helpful. The next one is the power of praying together. These are quotes from Ellen White's writings about unity in prayer and uh, unified prayer, the importance of that. The next one's a little thing from Science Magazine, How to Pray with Your Spouse. It's actually a, a way to start praying with people. You know, it's, sometimes it's most difficult to pray with the people close to us. <laughs> because it's tense or maybe they aren't into it or whatever. This is a lot of little suggestions how to get started. Just little ways to pray kind of non-offensively with other people, a neighbor, a friend, somebody that hasn't, you haven't been comfortable praying with. The next several sheets, I won't have again time to go through them in detail. Our time's just too limited, but there are formats for prayer which may help you. If, you're, if your mind wanders a lot, you get frustrated in your prayer time, uh, there are different ways to pray. Uh, on the first one is ACTS. How many of you have heard of ACTS prayer? Have you heard of that? If you study in the Bible, you find most of the great prayers have four main components to them. They have adoration or praise, where you just focus on God, His characteristics, His names, who He is. Then there's confession. I think of Daniel's great prayer in Daniel 9. We could go through it in detail. But, you know, he had a lot of confession. Lord, we haven't followed your prophets. Lord, we haven't done what we should have. We haven't met the covenant. On down through specific confession. Then uh, there's specific petition. Uh, Daniel goes, that's A-C-T. T is Thanksgiving, I'm sorry. Uh, where you thank for something specific he's done for you, okay? Not just praising him now, but thanking him for the things he's done, for seeing his hand working. And then S is supplication or prayer. So it's a very simple way to kind of go through that. This little sheet here, if you Xerox it, can become a, a journal for you. It's a three-wing notebook of some kind or something, which says, takes you through the ACTS, but then sort of a journal, what happened yesterday? What did God teach me uh, yesterday? What did I learn? What do I need to pray for? The people in my life. On the back is actually the journal for the, the yesterday. The next one is sanctuary prayer. I'm running really fast through these, but just so you can study them. There are books on some of them. Sanctuary, a model for prayer. Um, and, and as we look at the sanctuary, it's always teaching us how to come into the presence of God, right? And the sanctuary, I believe, can also be that moment by moment coming into his presence. In the morning, I praise. I enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, Psalms 100. Then I go to the altar of sacrifice. I think about my sins. That's where Jesus died for me, and I confess my sins. A labor. I'm claiming promises for cleansing. Then I move into the holy place. Okay, what do I get there? The bread is, is the uh, sustenance, right? The word of God, and it's also my physical necessities. The candelabra, what did that represent? The Holy Spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit, the light to the world, my witness. So I pray for the Holy Spirit. I pray for the gifts and for the fruit of the Spirit, and my witness to be uh, for Him. Then the altar of incense, what did that smoke represent? 
the intercessory prayers of the saints going up into the presence of God. So then I intercede. I have my intercession petitions. And then, of course, the most holy place represents being with him in his presence throughout the day. So whenever I begin to sense that I'm slipping out of his presence, I can walk back through the steps of the sanctuary. Okay, the Lord's Prayer, of course, was another model. Uh, you've studied that, heard about it before, and then the encounter prayer. Okay, a little sheet we put together, the next one on relationships, that we may be one, and uh, some really good principles there. Whenever we're in the world with people, we're going to have trouble. <laughs> and how to pray how to, in such a way that we can help through those things. Janet put together a little sheet called Prayer Group Ideas on, if you're going to pray in a small group, uh, ways to make this interesting, to make it interactive, to make it something that, that will um, make people want to spend longer time praying. And then the green one is a little bibliography that we've done, some of the books that have really helped us in our journey of prayer with the Lord. Okay, I want to go back to the Principles of Intercessory Prayer Sheet for just a moment and uh, walk through these principles. Analyticals say, why do we have to intercede? You know, God's working in everybody's life. How does this thing work anyway? And they want all the explanations. All I can do is say the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy say to do it, and I found out that it works. And so I'm going to follow that command and not try to figure out how God figures it all out. Jesus called us to intercession. Luke 11, the whole chapter's on that. Uh, he taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Then he told the story of the persistent uh, friend. He promises it'll be effective with uh, Luke 9, so 11, 9 to 10. He says, ask, it'll be given you, seek, and you'll find, knock, and it'll be opened unto you. And then he talks about the promise for the Holy Spirit being given to those who ask him. His model, he interceded much. The prophets, Paul, James, others, all said that we should be interceding much. It does unleash God's power in the great controversy. On the back of that first page, uh, Ellen White said, Ministering angels are waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer every prayer offered in earnest living faith. If we believe, even before we finish this time, I don't know if we'll get any time here to pray, at least in twos. We love to take an hour to pray with a group like this and just let the intercession flow with the Lord. But every time we pray, I believe we send an angel. Do you believe that? If we really believe that, the Holy Spirit or an angel goes to fix some, touch a heart, do something in a situation, I think we would pray more. I think we really begin to think it's sort of an exercise we need to do. Uh, it's a group dynamic or it's a personal thing. No, it actually affects the great controversy in ways that only God knows the power of what can happen. And Satan does too. He trembles. And on some of these others we've read already, and I won't go down through them all. Uh, number two, how to intercede practical methods for intercession. Uh, praying in faith, claiming the ABCs of prayer. How many of you have heard of the ABCs of prayer? Know what I'm talking about with that. Glenn Kuhn needs to go around again, I think. But uh, basically, we're told to ask, put our hand right on the promise, believe God's word, and then claim. Thank him in advance for what's going to happen. Now, there is a statement uh, on that next page there from the book Education 258. Uh, too much of our praying is whining and fussing and, and, and begging. Now, we're supposed to be very reverent. We're supposed to think about God's will. But when we have a promise and know God's going to do it, then we need to thank Him He's going to do it in His way and His time. Okay? And our prayer times will become much more times of praise and belief and thanking God, even though we can't see it yet, what's going to happen. Look at that second statement on page 3b, 2b. It says, For the pardon of sin, for the Holy Spirit, for a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do His work, for any gift that He has promised, we may ask. Then... We are to believe that we receive and return thanks to God that we have received. We need to look for no outward evidence of the blessing. The gift is in the promise. We may go about our work assured that what God has promised, He's able to perform. That the gift which we already possess will be realized when we need it most. I got really worried about my sister. Um, she's 14 years older than me, had the terrible burden of raising me to some extent. And um, she was in her second marriage, had a guy named Bob that helped raise her boys. Was a wonderful guy, a construction worker, simple. Didn't really have much of an interest in God in many ways. But he was a wonderful dad, wonderful husband, and she loved him. He got liver cancer. And my sister, who was kind of on the fringe of the church, she'd teach a little cradle roll, she'd do whatever, but she wasn't very active. She said, okay, God, you've got to give me this one. You can't let, you can't let Bob die on me. I've got to have him. So she began to just intensely pray for the next four or six months that, that God would save Bob. But Bob died. And, uh, but I have to tell you that a, past, a president of another conference that I knew in the area where they were went to see him on his deathbed, and he accepted Jesus. So I guess I think it was a pretty good healing myself. What do you think? Next thing Bob knows, I think we'll see him in a new body. But um, anyway, Carol took it pretty hard. 
and she began to fall away from God, got really bitter and just was not going to church or doing anything. And so I began to really become concerned for her, love her dearly. And I, I claimed a promise. Do you know this one? 1 John 4. And uh, some beautiful promises in 1 John 4 there. I'm sorry, 1 John 5. 11 to 13 there talks about our assurance of salvation that we should know we have eternal life if we have the Son. That's important to us. But verse 14 starts, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked to Him. And then it goes on, If anyone sees his brother, you can put sister, you can put friend, you can put spouse there. Anyone sees this other person sinning a sin which does not lead to death. My understanding of that is the unpardonable sin. Okay, not the unpardonable sin. We may ask, and God will give him life for those who don't commit the unpardonable sin. So I put my hand on that promise. I said, okay, God, I want you to bring life into Carol's life. I want you to save her. Now, I can't force anybody to be saved, right? But I said, God, you've said you'll bring her life, so I'm praying you'll bring her a good husband. Bring her maybe a preacher or somebody like that. That's what I was thinking, okay? And I began to pray. See, I like to, even though God creates the universe with a word, I like to instruct him. I like to counsel him. I like to use my prayer time to tell him what I think he ought to do. Pretty foolish, isn't it? But I can claim the promise. I can say, God, you have said, bring Carol to you. Put my hand on the promise. Believe that you're going to do whatever you need to do, and I'll leave it with you how you do it. But I was telling him how to do it and everything. But I was praying pretty intensely about that. You know that within a year, another friend of hers that she'd known her all through her life back in Nebraska got converted, started doing children's ministry, started traveling all over the world teaching children. She was on fire for Jesus. You know that Marlene started sending my sister out of her morning devotional time every day. She would mail her some encouraging word from the Word of God. Every day, every day, every day. And after about, I don't know, six, nine months or a year, it just broke my sister's heart. <laughs> Here's this Marlene on fire for God, sending me devotional thing every day, every day. And she's back. She worked for Union College for a number of years. She's retired now. But, um, you know, God brought my sister home. Now, I can tell you about my brother, <laughs> but it hasn't come back yet. But I got my hand on the promise for my brother. Amen. I want him saved, too. My parents said they wanted the whole family together. Now, again, we can't force anybody to be saved. But we sure can pray I'm miserable, just like my folks did me, huh? and make it hard for them to be lost. But putting our hand on the promise, claiming it, and believing God will work. Okay, whole section there on United, uh, the importance of United Prayer is the next handout in your, in your document there, or in your handouts. And hope you'll take the time to look at it. So much in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy on praying together. Why don't we get together in groups of two and three, pray for a soul, and then for another and another? Why don't we put everything together? And Janet's going to tell powerful stories here in a minute of, of ways we've seen it change churches and schools and families and marriages and the whole thing. We've seen so much happen. We just cannot quit doing it now. Um, and I guess a lot more I can say. Journaling, see specific requests, be persistent, don't give up. Importance of heart searching, yes, and confession. And then the last one, trust God. He always answers, but sometimes he says no or wait. Uh, Daniel's three friends, they were believing, weren't they? He said seven times hotter, the fiery furnace, you're going to get roasted. What did they say? I said, we know our God is what? Able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We're going to worship him anyway. That's true faith. And so whether it's healing, whether whatever it is, uh, we need to believe that God is doing it. But we could tell you all kinds of stories. I'd love to do it today of what's seemingly unanswered prayers. But we're told some of our seemingly unanswered prayers, number one, we don't understand what's really going on. But secondly, uh, in eternity, we're told our seemingly unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes will be among our greatest blessings. Oh, that call that I wanted, Brian. I thought it would be so good to go to that conference. I praise God now. They had a terrible mess right after that. <laughs> you know, so I, God knows what he's doing, and if I just stay in his will, it turns out a whole lot better. I've got to share one thing with you before Janet comes. Um, we've been on an exciting journey in Central. I shared a little of it the first night if you were there. But it's just been amazing, and I continue to, to just, my journal is full, and I just keep not believing what God can do. I look out at some of you in the, in the audience here, a part of that journey with us, but it's just, um, it's been amazing. When we came to Central California, Janet and I, it was about 95, and um, they're about to close the academy, SoCal Camp Meeting they voted not to have again because of money, and uh, you know, things were just, it doesn't mean a lot of good things were happening, but I'm just saying there was a lot of challenges. And so anyway, we, we called for prayer partners, and we asked them to unite with us in praying over these issues. You know, should Monterey Bay Academy close? What about SoCal Camp Meeting? Camp Meeting 
can be a blessing. Is, are we supposed to close it or not? You know, are we supposed to sell that property, whatever. Had lots of challenges, and we began to pray. We got prayer partners. We began to tell them the special needs, ask them to pray. A team began to form around camp meeting. Uh, well, about camp meeting, and we were praying about that. Anyway, I told them eventually, I said, you know, a lot of people are unhappy. Young adults come back to SoCal like nowhere else. that won't even go to church. I said, you know, everybody was, there were a lot of people very unhappy that we were not going to have it. And I said, you know, we, we need to at least try one so that Jan and I can understand what goes on here because some people are very upset about this. So we had one. We got, you know, Dwight Nelson and Wintley Phipps to come and have our camp meeting. Some really spiritual speakers came. And it was a wonderful thing. So we decided we we're going to keep going, have camp meeting, trust God for the finances, and began that journey. Prayer partners formed, we get a team of about 25 or 30 that pray ahead of time, that walk, we walk the grounds together, they pray a number of times during camp meeting. God began to do such miracles. And then they began to pray in the office three hours a day, every week, over all the issues we were facing, and personnel and finances and all those things that, you know, I just, I wouldn't want to lead this church in this day and age without that kind of cover. You know, it's just uh, other presidents get so frustrated and anxious sometimes and they say, what, do you want to be a UPS driver? You want to get out of this or something? And I say, you know, I just don't, but, but it's really because I roll so much of it over on my prayer partners, people who've united with us in prayer, and I know that God will take care of us all together. Anyway, they began to be a little frustrated because we were hoping that throughout the conference people would understand that their marriages, their schools, their churches could be saved, and things, great things could happen if they would just get together twos and threes in small groups and really intensely pray, and not just a little while, but keep praying. So anyway, we, we were, the prayer partners were, were meeting, and they were praying, Lord, what do you want us to pray about? That Romans 8, 26 I talked about earlier, that indicting of prayer. God, you tell us what to pray. And they prayed that a lot. And they said, but Lord, we'd like you to give us an example, a token, if you will, that you can do anything that would show the people in our conference that their marriage doesn't have to be ruined, that their kids don't have to be lost, that their school doesn't have to go down the tubes, whatever. And so again, they put it on their hearts over the next few months to pray over the evangelism offering at camp meeting. It wasn't because leaders were saying we need more evangelism money or ratchet this up or that. This began a journey of them feeling God was leading them to pray. People at the camp meeting, we began to pray. The first year they prayed for an overflow, and it overflowed by about 50 or 75,000. We'd never gotten over 100,000. And uh, anyway, make the story short. But it, it, then they came to me and said, well, raise the goal next year. Raise it up to 250. We're going to pray for a big thing. What do you do as a leader? You know, What if it doesn't happen next year? <laughs> So it's been a terrible journey for me because I'm out of control, completely out of control. I'm no longer in, a guy that can control what's going on because they've been praying for this overflow. So I went to the people at camp meeting. I said, listen, we're just going to ask you at camp meeting to pray. What does God want you to do? Take 10 days. Talk to God. If he doesn't ask you to do anything for evangelism offering, fine. Uh, don't do a dime. We don't want it. But if he tells you to do something, trust him, even if it's more than you can see. And so that began to happen. It went up to 250. And then they began to pray for a half million. It went up to half a million. And this story goes on and on. It's a 10-year story now. And finally, they were praying for a million. We thought they were crazy. And, uh, you know, I remember when it went over a million. What a wonderful thing. The next year, a guy came up to me at the end on Saturday night. And uh, we still were only dragging the goal behind what was happening every year. We were up at about seven or 800,000. But out of that had developed all these ministries. I mean, we have... 50, 60 Bible workers, 25 church plants, you know, all kinds of youth and young adult ministries, full-time youth evangelism teams, and our student LE and program, and our, our Bible workers, our, our GLOW program, all that stuff you've heard about has, has grown. So we kept telling the story. We kept writing letters out and thanking them, but we weren't really able to do this on our own. But I remember after it went over a million, um, I was supposed to preach on Saturday night, and that, next, that year, you know, I mean, we get about, it started going down the first weekend, we'd get about 100,000 after the first weekend. And you know, that helps my prayer life a lot because we got all these ministries going for just one year. And then last year it went up to a million and we got 100,000 or something after the first Sabbath. So I'm thinking, oh Lord, how are we going to get out of this mess? We got all these people, everything's going to go wrong. So I, I can tell you it helps my prayer life. <laughs> but anyway, what was happening is people were actually waiting until they prayed instead of just giving, you know, we'll give you 20 bucks, we'll give you 50 bucks or whatever. They were praying to see what God wanted them to do. But that's hard on leaders because <laughs> you've got to wait. You know? So it's, it's Sabbath. We don't know what's going to happen. But by Saturday night, there was already close to 900,000. We thought, praise the Lord. It's coming in again, God's people. And another part of the story is just people were widows. You know, it's hundreds and thousands of people actually praying and, and together and then pledging. And people pledging what they didn't think they could do. But then during the year, God would work this miracle, get the pledge for them. And they were just excited. So they'd come to camp meeting. We'd have them give a testimony. Uh, how God gave them a short-term job or how God brought this money in or whatever. And it was an amazing thing. I was standing out back putting Mike on 
and uh, getting ready to preach. And a guy walked up and he said, you know, how, how's the offering going this year? And I said, well, it's going pretty well. I said, you know, a few of them are prayer partners, I think, are going crazy. They're praying for two million. I said, looks like we're going to go over a million again, but some are praying for two million. His eyes got big. He said, are you kidding me? He said, are you saying some people have been praying for two million? And I said, yeah, they have. In fact, Janet, was, we were prayer walking the grounds ahead of camp meeting, and she mentioned in prayer that some were praying for two million. My treasurer's eyes got this big, you know, he thought it was nuts. But anyway, his eyes got big, and he said, that's amazing. He said, my brother and I sat down this afternoon. We were talking together, what would God want us to do to help with evangelism? We were thinking, you know, let's give him $100,000 from our big business, and, and that would help, you know, you get well over a million and do something more this year. But as we were talking together, God told us we were supposed to give you an extra million dollars this year. And he said, I can't believe they're playing for two million. So I was able to, we were able to go up front, pray over those pledges and things before that night was over with two million. The next year, they decided to give two million. It's been 3.3 million the last two years. Last year was a, talk about a prayer increase in my life. Last year, we have all these ministries going. Economy's awful. What's gonna happen last summer? And it went over three million again. But I told the group a little while ago, now of course the donors are all having trouble, right? Because the economy. So is the money going to come in? What's going to happen? So this has been a wonderful thing to help my prayer life. Trials are a wonderful thing. But the ministries, all the things God has done, what a miracle. And I, again, it's not about the money, really. Ellen White says, you know what the greatest sin of Laodicea is, she says? If you study her writings. She says the greatest sin of Laodicea is covetousness. You know, we think we're so poor here in North America, but what, we're in the top 1% of the world for education. We have cars, stuff like that. Anyway. I did talk too long. Again, if there isn't enough handouts, if you write your name, address down there, be sure to put city, state, zip code. We'll be sure and send some to you. I just need to pray if you bow your heads for a minute. Oh, Father, thank you that you will take us and use us if we surrender ourselves to you. And I can't even do that, Lord, but I pray that you'll help me to. And just plead the blood of Jesus over this room, that you'll help everyone to hear just what they're needing right now. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I love God's word. Do you realize it's Jesus' very life, his power, his healing power, it is alive, and there's so much power in God's Word and claiming those promises. I learned from, by the way, Glenn Kuhn is dead. I don't know if you know that, Jerry. Uh, you were talking about he should go around again. But, <laughs> but his book is still out. There's a book, ABCs of Prayer. But I learned in Academy about claiming promises, and I'll never forget when I first started kneeling down and putting my finger on the promise. There's a quote in your handouts. Ellen White talks about, Augustine's mother put her finger on the promise for him to save her son, and God did it. And I, I did that in academy over my brother, and I've seen my brother's got a powerful ministry now. And just, you know, and a lot of you are nodding your heads, you know what I'm talking about. But God's word, praying God's word is way more powerful than me praying my own words. Way more. And the only way I can really do that is the more I'm in God's word. It happens. But I love this one. Oh. In, in Second Chronicles, I know you know it, but in 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God is longing, looking for a people who he can, he can pour out his answers to prayer on, who can bless him with his power. He's just wanting to do that so much. And, you know, Jerry's talking about when, when Jerry first came to the conference, conference committee, this is a time to get business done, and it always took all day long. They had so many problems they had to deal with. Jerry let them know, we're going to spend the first hour in praise, testimony, and prayer. And they're going, uh, you know, we're already here till 5 o'clock. Doesn't mean they're going to be later yet. And, you know, they weren't real thrilled about it, the majority, some were. And in that time, you know, there was praise, but they do that conversational kind of prayer, just a sentence here, a sentence there. And, and do you know what happened? I don't know how long people are on that. Is it three years? But like they're, they're on it for three years. It gets voted by constituency. Well, if the constituency, a new group is put on, some of the old stay on, 
And, you know, Jerry had to force this a lot, too, because a lot of them want to get down to business. But do you know what happened that first time they did this hour of praise and prayer? They got done early in the afternoon. Everybody walked out of there in amazement because instead of taking a long time. But not only that, but it's become more. They still have issues and problems, but it's so different now. It used to be so depressing and, and burdensome. And now there's, there's so much good happening and God's blessing, so much exciting things to work on ministry. But at the constituency, after that, the old committee comes and the new committee comes. And they had that testimony and praise time. Over and over again, these members who were going off said, one said, she says, I don't know why I was put on conference committee. She says, I hardly go to church and I find out I've been put on conference committee. I'm coming there going, God, why am I here? And she says, I've been converted here. This, we're talking a business meeting? She's converted. Another guy, he said, I used to drag to get to conference committee. You know, I'd come in late. He says, I rush to get there because I didn't want to meet miss that first hour. Over and over and over again there were these testimonies. If our school boards, if our church boards would spend that quality time in praise and thanksgiving and prayer, what would be happening? We'd be in heaven by now. Wouldn't we? Well, listen, I have people say to me, well, God knows. You know, we don't really need to pray about it. God knows. Daniel 9. You read Daniel 9? Daniel reads the prophecies and God says he's about to Complete it. 70 years. It's going to be done. You know that whole story? What does Daniel do? He could have closed up, the, rolled up the scrolls and said, God's going to do it. It's going to be done. What does Daniel do? He goes into fasting and prayer for God to do it. I don't understand it. All I know is God has called us to do it over and over in Scripture. And some people will kind of uh, chuckle at me because on Wednesdays at our prayer day, we drag out all the prayer requests from camp meeting. You know, at camp meeting, we've prayed individually through them, but we can't keep doing that. So we just drag them out. We put them on the table. We pray over them. The, you know, the requests from the girls' retreat, women's retreat, whatever. And does that, that sounds like a stupid little ritual. But I'm convinced we're, that it makes a difference. Because I hear people all the time telling about the answers to prayer uh, that's happened through that. But in, in Isaiah, uh, I think it's Isaiah 37, Manasseh, not Manasseh, Hezekiah gets a letter telling him that this, this other king, whatever, is going to come and just stomp him down. What does he do? He takes that letter, he goes to the temple, and he spreads the letter out before God. And he says, God, look at what they're going to do. And then on down, what does God say? Because you have prayed, I will do this. And you go, you read the New Testament, you read Paul's writings over and over again. He says, because of your prayers, I had deliverance. Will you pray for me that I won't be anxious? Isn't that nice to know that Paul got anxious too, doing things up front? And I love this one. I'm not going to, because there's not enough time, but there's just so many. I've underlined them in green in my Bible, where over and over he tells people to pray, or we're praying for you. We are to pray. But 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons. You hear that? That's that united prayer. On our behalf for the gift granted to us through many through many praying for it to happen. I just have to insert here. <clears throat> How do you witness for the Lord? I hope you're going to be going out Sabbath because we want to reach San Jose. I believe you are such an answer to prayer. There's been a pastor that's been kneeling in his church praying every week over San Jose for quite a, a time here. And now it's going to happen. We're going to have so many Bible studies lined up to follow up. We're going to have Heidi working day and night here with people. But... <clears throat> Wait, where was I going with that? Okay, um, I forgot. Um, oh, Mark 5. How do you witness? You know the story of Mark 5? Jesus arrives off of the lake onto the shore. The demoniac comes out with the chains and just carrying on. And Jesus casts the demons out. They go in the pigs and go off into the lake. That's a short version. You need to read it. It's way better in the Bible. But, but near the... Near the end, Jesus getting in the boat because the people didn't want him because, you know, he ruined their pigs, so they want him to leave. Jesus gets in the boat. The man who's been healed wants to get in the boat with him. And he says, no, no, you stay, and you go tell what God's done for you. This, this man knew very little about Jesus, right? He knew very little. But you turn over towards the end of chapter 6, or you look in Desire of Ages. But in chapter 6, it says there was a multitude 
to meet Jesus when he came back. When they recognized it was Jesus, they came by the throngs. And it's all because of this one man sharing what Jesus had done for him. That is what God, that's all you've got to do is share what Jesus has done for you. In Desire of Ages, she says there were thousands, thousands that came because of that one man testimony. And the best way for you to have a testimony is to, to journal, to write out, write out those prayer requests and write the answers. And you just keep it brief, but just somehow write down and you start doing that, you'll start seeing so many blessings and surprises that God does in your life. Now, when one of the things, um, when I first started really spending time with God, I just loved how he'd speak to me through his word. And just, oh, it's so exciting. And then it quit. And I said, why, God? Why don't you speak to me? I'd like you to speak to me through your word. And, and, I, I, and it was nothing. For three days I was asking God. Finally, just that faint impression. I don't hear voices, but just that faint thought was, you don't care about what I show you. I said, yes, I do. I get excited. I go tell people about it. You know, I, I care. And it was like, no, you don't care. Because if you cared, you'd write it down. Because you forget. You forget. And, and you read the Old Testament. What was Israel's biggest problem? They forgot. They forgot. Over and over again, they forgot. They forgot what God had done for them. They forgot what God had told them. And it's the same with us. We forget. You're younger. You don't forget like I do. But you still forget. And I find with teenagers, they think, oh, God's never worked in my life, whatever. It's because nobody has worked with them to remember how God's worked. And the parents, if they had a journal of it, we wouldn't be losing them. And, but with, with that, as you journal, you're writing down, you know, when I started doing that, it's like God just starts pouring out more of his blessings and stories and things he wants. <coughs> then you have your testimony to share with people. As God leads, it may be one-on-one, -on -one, it may be in, in front of groups, whatever. God has taken me all over this world sharing my silly little stories, but it changes people's lives. And it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, and I know that. But he wants to do that with each one of you. With everyone, it'll be different. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to spend an hour a day with God, but I'm telling you, if you do, you're going to see mighty things happen. But if you'll just start with five minutes, if you'll just consistently do five minutes every day, you're going to see things happen. But people I've known through the years who've committed to spending an hour a day with God, uh, and I maybe, I hate to even say that, because it may have been 30 minutes with some, but, but I've just seen... The Holy Spirit poured out on them. Some start writing books. Others start writing music. Others do homeless ministries, just different things. God will gift you as you're spending that time with him to do what he's calling you to do. And out of that, like back when, when Jerry and I uh, moved to Pennsylvania, and just a short version here, he became the conference president there. It was a time in my life where I had given up spiritually. I had allowed bitterness, resentment to just eat away at me. And I got so focused on what I needed to do to be saved. I want to be translated. I want to be perfect. And I got so focused on that, I lost the experience with Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we don't need to, to do these things. Don't misunderstand me. But it's a wrong focus when all I'm doing is reading compilations of Ellen White. I've got to be in God's Word. I've got to be in Desire of Ages and, and, and these things. And, and know Jesus, know God. And I had lost all that. And when the preachers would stand up and say, you need to be out witnessing, sharing the hope and the joy, the power you have in Jesus Christ. I'd say, what hope, what power, what joy? And I didn't have anything. And I had given up. And God started, Jerry, at the time this happened, Jerry became conference president. It was right at camp meeting time. People attending a seminar on the Holy Spirit. The, the seminar speaker got him to commit to pray for Jerry and I every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you read Ellen White, it is so important that we're praying that for us, for our leaders, for our pastors, for everyone around us. And it was two years later, people praying for me. You know, they, they came up and told me they were praying. I'd tell them, oh, thank you. But big deal, so they're praying. What does that do? But I'm telling you what, for the next two years, I'd be in a different church almost every Sabbath with Jerry, and somebody would come up to me and tell me that they were praying. And it was two years later, my life was literally turned upside down. God just started pouring out His Holy Spirit on me. And, and I never want to go back to the way it was before. He moved on me, you know, to, to seek forgiveness of somebody and heal the bitterness and just started changing my life, getting me to spend time with Him again. 
the united prayers, people praying are so powerful because it changed my life. And, and Jerry was a man who would read before he, he'd have his devotions. He would just read and then go on with his day, but he wasn't, really, he wasn't praying. And, and God started moving on him through this and, and changing his life. But because of that, it's given me a passion to get people to see, yes, we need time alone with God. That is so important. But then come together with somebody and pray. But what do you pray for? Pray for what God lays on your heart. Ask Him what He wants. Because you can't pray for the hundreds of thousands of things that need to be prayed for. You drive yourself crazy. But pray for the things God wants you to pray for and to, and to do. And I had, back when the Lord was just kind of getting me realizing all this, I, had, I got a phone call. This woman calls up, and I knew her. She was one of these well-to-do, prominent people in the community. And she says, I've been married 32 years, and I want out. And I go, whoa. You know, and she said, I, my husband, you know, he fools around, he's running around, and, and I just can't handle it anymore. And she says, I packed my car with everything I thought I couldn't live without, and I left. And she says, I'm driving down the interstate, and I'm, and I'm going, God, I know you don't like divorce, and, but I don't know what to do. I'm miserable, he's miserable. What do I do, God? Right then she sees this huge white billboard with big black letters that says, turn back now, next exit. <laughs> so she turned back, came back home, and she felt like God was telling her to call me. And of course, I'm going, why is she calling me? You know, what am I going to do? I'm not a marriage counselor. And so I started silently praying while she's talking, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And it was like just that faint impression, meet with her once a week to pray. And I'm thinking, oh, my, I'm busy. How can I do that? But it was a time in my life where I really started wanting to be obedient to God, to what I felt he was leading me to do. Now, how do you know if it's God speaking to you or is it Satan? We are told, Ellen White talks about, we need to be careful. Satan can so make us think that it's God when it's him talking to us, telling us things. You need a spiritual mentor in your life. Uh, Proverbs talks about that. There's wisdom in counselors. For me, it's Jerry. You know, if I get these crazy ideas that I think are from God, I'll go to Jerry and I know pretty soon whether it's not by his reaction, you know. But, but you need that spiritual mentor in your life, whether, you know, it's your pastor or, or somebody you know that's a, a spiritual person that, that you can go to and just bounce that idea off of them. Now, if God's word, if it goes against God's word, you know it's not from God. I've had, during my prayer time, praying the weirdest thing come over me. And it was so livid, so real. And I thought, oh my. But I knew it couldn't be God because it was contradictory to his word. And I, I started praying, Lord, this is Satan. Make him go away. And it left. But that happened. But this woman, I said to her, I said, you know, I'm not a marriage counselor. I don't know how to help you. But I feel like God's saying, if you want to, we'd meet once a week and pray. She said, oh, I'd love it. So we got together to pray. Now, when you get together with somebody to pray, what is it that happens? We talk. We talk about the problem. And we talk and we talk. And we counsel and we counsel. And I learned really quickly, we can't do that. We've got to just pray. Amen. And of course, you know, as we started praying, whatever, she first had to tell me, you know, how miserable he was. And I, had to, I let her do it once, but that was it. But then as we prayed, you know, she was a really angry woman and she just said, God help this man. 32 years I've been with him and just on and on and just, I mean, she was miserable. She had no assurance of salvation. You know, her own life had just become bad. And I gradually, gently, number one, I got her to commit to spending at least 30 minutes of time with Jesus alone each day in his word, getting to know him. But then I started talking to her about, let's, let's instead of going right into the request for your husband, let's just praise God. Let's just worship him. Let's just adore him. Let's think about heaven. Think about Jesus dying on the cross. And so we started doing that. And then I said, instead of telling God what needs to happen with your husband, let's ask God what, how we need to pray. Because I don't know how to pray. And that's what we started doing. I see so many, hear so many people, you say, oh, if I only knew how to pray better, if I, if I knew how to pray, I'm going to tell you the best way to learn how to pray. Pray. <laughs> Spend time with God and His Word, ask Him to teach you, and pray. You know, He may lead you to some book to read or somebody to help you, but that's the way to do it is to start doing it. I've met people who've read every book there is on prayer and they're still not praying. And, and you, you learn so much in praying. 
And so we started asking God, how do we pray for this marriage? How do we pray for this man? God laid it on our hearts to pray that it would be put in him a love for his wife. He'd see her again the way he did when they first got married. And that God would give him a pure mind. And that she would see her husband the way she did when they first got married. And so we, we and there were some other things too. And we started praying for these things. And do you know what happened? As we prayed for these things, he got worse. Their marriage got worse. It was terrible. And this is, doesn't always happen, but a lot of times it does. When you pray for a person or a situation, things can get worse. Things will get worse. But you know what Isaiah 55 says? My ways are, are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. We don't know how God has to work in order to answer that prayer. But I can guarantee you that if you're praying with a sincere heart, God is answering. He's working. And it's a time to praise Him. I had a woman show up. We, she met with us a week before at a women's group where we were praying and we prayed for a son. She'd ask us to pray for a son to be converted. She comes back the next week and says, oh, we should have never prayed for him. And we said, why? He says, well, he got fired from his job and now his wife's threatening divorce. They're fighting. She said, we should have never prayed. And I gently tried to encourage her, let's just thank God he's working because he is. I don't understand it. I don't understand how he has to work, but he's God and I know he's working because his word tells us he is. But this woman, you know, we're meeting to pray for her marriage. We end up praying for her children because several of them were not in the Lord. They were married, you know, had families and, and never been baptized. And we started praying for them. And do you know what we saw with them? Everything kept getting worse. And I tell you, we get together and pray each week and I limit it. You know, not a lot of talking, we just would pray, and we'd, we would only meet for like 40 minutes, and then I'd leave. But there began to be a change. This woman went from an angry, you know, upset woman, because she spent a time with Jesus, she became filled with this joy. And just, oh, she was loving the experience with Jesus, and God was leading her into witnessing and sharing, and she had that assurance of salvation, and her husband started to take notice started to see his wife smiling now. She's happy. So he was curious, what's going on here? And it was over a period of a couple of years of praying together, but they became like this. This old couple, 32 years married, are, are got to hold hands all the time and sit right next to each other in the car. She has to go with him everywhere in his work. They became like a honeymooners. It was so precious. But before that happened, I got so sick of praying with them praying about. I just don't want to hear their names anymore. But God was laying it on my heart to keep doing it. And it was like Satan, what I felt God was saying, Satan will get in there and try to discourage you or make you bored with it to make you quit. Because he knows that God's working. But we saw three of her kids and their families all join the church and be baptized. And it was all just through praying. It was praying for him that, that we saw him work. It was incredible. But later on, she was dying of ovarian cancer. And we had, you know, anointed her, prayed for her to be healed, and she is healed, but it'll be at the resurrection morning. But before she died, she called me to her bedside, and she said, Jana, I can't thank you enough for taking time to consistently meet with me, to not give up, to pray. She says, now I'm ready to die, and my marriage is healed, and, and I, I know... I'm ready to die. Her husband, not knowing this, took me off to the side, and he said to me, I can't thank you that you take time out of your busy life to get together and pray. He said, our marriage has been healed, and you know, I never would have been ready for her to die like this if, this, if you hadn't have done this. We can never take credit for any answers to prayer we see. You know that, right? You know that if God's laid it on your heart to pray, He's about to work. It's His thing. It's not ours. Monterey Bay Academy, the, you know, I, I, I fear in sharing this because with the economy so bad, it's like Satan's working overtime. But the housing is really bad. It's old. It needs to be replaced. And I'm sure God's laid it on other people's hearts to pray it too. But on Wednesdays, I've just kept pushing it with a group. We've got to pray for that housing. Pray somebody. Somebody will come and start fixing it up. Pray they'll come and fix it up. We prayed that for several years. Do you know God's gotten a, a person that's not even an Adventist to start giving money to fix it up? And we were also, you know, praying for all the buildings, too. And, and uh, he's given, I think, it's about $2 million. 
and I fear in sh sharing that because, you know, the devil's angry and wants to stop it. But I'm telling you, there's something about consistently taking those prayers to God. You know, I, I hear every, sometimes, and I'll pick up these books and read it, where they talk, oh, we just need to thank the Lord, we don't need to pray. You know, pray it once and that's it. That is not what I read in Spirit of Prophecy. I'm starting to do a sheet on it where she talks about we need to continually keep taking it to God. We need to thank Him and believe that He's working. It's very important that we thank Him, we step out and believe, but we need to plead and bring it before Him. A group of us were meeting, of women, we were planning a women's meeting, a camp meeting, and this one woman said, would you pray for my husband? I came into the church through him, and he doesn't even want to go to church, or, or he won't be the spiritual leader in the home with our family. And I wanted to go to camp meeting, because I don't want to go unless he'll go. So we started praying, Lord, get this man to come to camp meeting. Get him to be the spiritual leader in the home. And it came time for camp meeting. That was, you know, a few months we'd prayed. Came time for camp meeting, and he wouldn't go. And we... Um, <clears throat> Afterwards, started meeting after that, started praying again. And she said, would you pray for my husband? You know, the same request. This time we got smart. Instead of just praying for him again how we thought, we, we said, Lord, how should we pray for this man? And we just had a time of silence in that group, waiting. And God laid it on our hearts to pray that it would be put in his mind that it was his idea that he wanted to go to camp meeting. <laughs> so we started praying that. Now, I know Jerry said it, but I'm just hoping it registered with you. If you get together in a group and you pray a long prayer, you pray a long prayer, you pray a long prayer, I'll be bored to death by the time you get to me or sound asleep. I think I'm ADD. But we have found it so much more meaningful if you just pray a couple of sentences, just one subject, and then you come in and agree with it. Or, or else bring up another subject, but just in a few sentences, not long prayers. Ellen White talks about we don't need the long prayers, just the short ones. But you can go back and forth and go from subject. And you know what's so good about it? If I just get together with you and I spill out this long prayer, but if I do it this other way, you give time for the Holy Spirit to impress you how he wants you to pray instead of just, you know, dumping it all out there. But this, this, so we started praying at this guy's idea. We prayed for a couple of months or so. And one morning she calls me up. She said, you'll never guess what happened last night. And I said, what? She said, well, I was already home from work. I was in the kitchen fixing food. My husband comes in. He rubs his head like he's not sure where this thought is coming from. And he said, you know, I want to go to camp meeting. I can borrow so-and-so's trailer. I can get this time off from work. I've got some time I can take. I want to go to camp meeting. And I said, great, God's answered your prayer. I said, send in the application because we fill up. And she goes, no, no, when it comes down to it, he won't want to go. I said, what do you mean? God answered your prayer. Of course he's going to go. She says, no, when it comes down to it, he won't want to go. I was so frustrated with her because I was telling her, send in the application. And she wouldn't do it. Instead, she puts it on the refrigerator with magnets and just leaves it there. At least three weeks went by. And this guy notices it one day, and he says, isn't this the application for camp meeting? She says, yes. And he says, why is it here? She says, well, I thought when it came down to it, you wouldn't want to go. And he says, of course I want to go. I told you I want to go. I'm going to borrow so-and-so's trailer, get time off from work, and we're going to go to camp meeting. So then she sent it in. I believe that because she was a praying woman, a woman who spent time with God, God was having her wait till just the right time to send it in. So this guy comes to camp meeting. But after the first weekend, I'm coming out of the early morning meeting. She's standing there waiting for me. She's arms crossed, tapping her foot on the floor and going, fine, he's here. But what is, good is it going to do? He sits in the trailer. And I'm going, I, I don't know. But I said, I'll get some people together and we'll pray for God to get him into the meetings. So we started doing that, getting together. And we were praying for God to get him into all the meetings. And he never did. But he started going to this one particular one that happened to be on prayer. Now, this was a man who, like, when they tell you to, to pray together after a meeting's over, he wouldn't. He'd just sit there quietly, wait till everything was done, and then get up and leave. He'd never pray with his wife. Well, this speaker was in about the middle of the week. He'd been coming, you know, most of the week to it. He, the speaker, when he got done, he said, I want you to divide up now in twos and threes and pray together. Then he gets down off the platform, goes down the side aisle, picks him out of the middle, and says, I want to pray with the two of you. And I don't know if it was that or what it was, but he went home a changed man. Amen. He went home telling his wife, I want to start praying with you. He started being, leading out in family worships. He started trying to read his Bible again. He started coming to church and just started growing in the Lord. 
But I don't know how long it was. It was sometime after that. His wife calls me, and she's crying. I said, what's the matter? He said, he's leading out in family worships. I said, well, good. That's what we prayed for. You wanted that. She says, but it's awful. He's so authoritarian and strict. The kids hate it. <laughs> Fortunately, she was a wise woman. She kept her mouth shut. She did not tell her husband that he was doing it wrong. Because you know what would have happened if she had? It would have so shut him down. And, and we do that too much with new members, whether, whether our, our, you don't have kids yet, I guess, but, but you know, if your kid starts growing in the Lord, or new member, whoever it may be, don't start telling them, oh, you, you know, your dress is too short, or, or whatever, you shouldn't eat that, or whatever. Let the Holy Spirit do it. Just pray for them. If God has opened your eyes to see their problem, He's not doing it so you'll go to them and fix it. He's, he's doing it so you'll pray for them. And so that's what we did. We just prayed for this husband. We just met and prayed. And gradually God mellowed him out. And the, and the worships became a beautiful experience in their family. But he became a man who just had to be there when the church doors were open, to be involved with evangelistic meetings. And one night he asked his wife, after they put the kids to bed, to come out to the living room. And she did. And he says, I, I need your help to do something. Then he goes to the back room, and he comes out with this huge stack of pornography magazines. And he says, will you help me burn these in the fireplace? And she said, oh, I'd love to help you. So <laughs> they stuck them in the fireplace and set them on fire. And then she said, you know, they're burning. Let's go to bed. And he goes, no, I will not go to bed to every one of those is in ashes. They have so controlled my life. We didn't even know, I, you know, the one she'd asked us to pray, we didn't know he had this problem. But we knew there was a spiritual problem, and God was leading us to pray for him. And God did mighty things in that man's life. He's now a head elder. He's now a man who preaches. He preaches sermons better than most pastors. And he's given Bible studies and winning people to the Lord. In your handout, those quotes, there's the quote, Ellen White says, why don't we get together in twos and threes and plead for the salvation of a soul? and then go on to another soul. But to not give up, to keep persevering before the throne, those names. I heard a sermon by Dwight Nelson here recently of George Mueller. He prayed for five people, and he saw one converted. I don't remember the details, but I know one was within a short amount of time. Another one was in a few years, and, and it went on like that. But the fifth one was not converted till after George Mueller died. But George never gave up praying for these that God had laid on his heart to pray for them. And that, but we had a, a, a group get together. Oh my, I have to quit. Never mind. I am sorry. But you get the, I hope the point of what we're saying, that go to God, just start praying. He will show you how to spend that time with him. There's one thing I've got to share. I hope, I'm sorry. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful. to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have had a sin in my life that I have struggled with for years. I loved that sin. And I didn't know how to get rid of it because I love it. But I started doing what it says in that little encounter booklet that's with your handouts. And again, write your name down here. We'll send them to you if there wasn't enough. But this little booklet, I got the idea from that of continually taking whatever that sin is to God and saying, God, you know I love this sin. I know it's destroying me. You know, it may be destroying your relationships, whatever. I said, God, you've got to do what 1 John 1, 9 says and cleanse me of it. And, and then Genesis 3.15 to claim that. That's a text where he'll put a hatred in us for sin. He said, Lord, you've got to make me hate this sin. Do you know what happened? It was over a period of time, but God made me hate the sin, and I didn't want it. I tried to get the urge back to want to be able to do it and enjoy it again. And he wouldn't let me. But just taking God's word. And, and the biggest thing with the sins in our life is to continually keep coming to God and confessing. I don't know how it is with you, but in times past I thought, I can't go to God with this again. I've asked a hundred thousand times for him to forgive me. How can I go to him again with it? He's got to be furious with me. That's not what his word says. And just keep that. Our job is keep bringing that sin to him and confessing it. And God will come in and work powerfully in, in what he'll do. 
I don't know why. I felt like I was supposed to share that here. Um, but I'm going to quit. There's so much more to share. And I know you've got so much more. I can't wait till heaven. Because we're going to have so much fun celebrating with God and sharing all the ways he's worked. If I could tell you stories of my kids. God, God showed me who they were to marry before they did. I made the mistake with one in letting him know that he ought to date this girl. That wasn't good. I should have kept my mouth shut and just prayed about it. I got smart with the second one. I didn't do that. But what I'm trying to say is each of you can have an intimate relationship with God. We're told in, in Psalms 25, he, God confides in his children. You know, he confides in us. He loves us so much. I just have to pray with you as we quit. Lord, it is so exciting and such an honor to stand here before all these young faces, to realize they're here seeking you, that they have a passion to get this work done. Lord, there's never been a time in history like now where there's been that I know about. And I just praise your holy name. Praise your name for what you're doing. Father, bless each one that's here. You know their struggles. You know their heartaches. You know the baggage from the past. And Father, we're calling on your name to pour out your healing grace, not because we're worthy to be asking, but Jesus says to come in his name through the power of his blood that you will bring healing in the way it needs to happen for each one, that you will fulfill your promise in Joel 2.25. You will heal, restore the years the locusts have eaten in their lives. And Father, pour out your spirit on each one. Don't let, keep them surrounded with holy angels. Don't let Satan come in and confuse them. Keep them focused on you and in your word and doing your calling on their lives. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.